0: you are listening to the senior pastor podcast where four giants of the restoration movement walk us through the issues facing the church today your four hosts are bob russell don wilson ken idelman and scott rawlings before we begin a word from our sponsor with more than seven thousand investors the solomon foundation is committed to helping the local church grow When you partner with the Solomon Foundation, you get an excellent return while making an eternal impact. Start today at www.thesolomonfoundation.org.
1: Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor at Christ Community Church, and I am joined by Bob Russell, founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church, Don Wilson, founding pastor of CCV in Phoenix, Arizona area, Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, and Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and the former lead pastor of Crossroads Christian Church in Indiana. Well, folks, we were talking just before air, even before the economy and inflation kind of went went screwy. The number of Americans with credit card debt has skyrocketed, and pastors and leaders are not immune. And unfortunately, I don't know, maybe Ken, you know of any class at any Bible college or seminary that teaches a pastor how to budget and how to do so in a way that they can put some money back for retirement and their children's education or, or whatnot but I know that you guys talk to a lot of pastors I know Dad's done a lot of work with people over the years uh, I know you used to use Dad Crown Financial when you'd sit down with couples try to get their budget together but what do you say to I mean you've got say a young man of 23 or 26. Fresh out of school, he's probably got anywhere from fifty to eighty thousand dollars in debt, student loans. He's probably looking for a job that pays maybe forty to fifty thousand dollars a year. What do you do? Have you addressed this? Do you address this? Should the schools be addressing this?
2: I yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, in the formative years, you've got to get some things straight before you get out there um, very far in the world. I. Um, I think when I taught practical ministry class at Ozark for four years or so, uh, we had one section that was on personal finance in that class, and that morphed into a class on personal finance in the curriculum. We've, we've got to teach the, the, biblical, the fundamental biblical principles about money management, and these work. Uh, number one is to resist debt. Number two is to control spending. Number three is to enjoy giving. I think that's what Scripture teaches about money management, and Get, getting those three things in place. If you control your spending, you're going to res- resist debt, and you're going to have more to save, and, and you're going to have money to give.
1: Dad, I know that you've spent a lot of time with couples over this. I know you have uh, your, your own method of watching money. You want to talk about that?
3: Uh, I don't really, but I'll give it my best shot. Yeah, Your mother and I... Uh, she kept having babies. And, uh, <laughs> and it turns out to be able to live debt-free was really a challenge. She turned into someone that was made Ebenezer Scrooge like look like a generous man. And at the time, it got on my nerves. But it turns out that she was right on the money. I mean, we just didn't spend what we didn't have. If we went on vacation, we'd saved up the money to pay for it. It was her doings more than mine, to be honest with you. And she's still as tight as a bark on a young sapling. That she's just That's the way she's put together. Last night, we went to that little mall over there by the hotel, and I found this real pretty thing that, that I wanted to wear. And she said, I'm not going to try that on. I said, why not? She said, because I, it's too expensive. That's the way we made it because Ebenezer wouldn't spend it. And it worked out that we were never in debt on anything other than the house. And then when we sold the house, we put the money with Solomon Foundation, and the the money that came from that pays for the place where we live now. But that principle, it was, we we weren't taught that. It was because Ebenezer insisted on, and where she got it, I don't know, because she was raised privileged, I grew up on the farm. I'm like, Don, I, I, didn't, I couldn't spell vacation, much less know what they were, until after I got out of college. And that was because she, her family had a little place in Florida. I doubt if Jesus would have stayed at it. It was so crummy looking. But anyway, uh, they went down there every year. I know this is rambling
1: on, but it just boiled down to we didn't spend what we didn't have. Well, you also do something, though, because I know I've seen you do this. And I've seen tell other people you write down every dollar you spend.
3: I know exactly where every penny goes. Right. And, and you have to do that to start to get things under control because you spend a lot of money that you don't even think you're spending until you have it in black and white before you. So, you know, that's the first thing I ask them to do for two months. If you're coming to me, you, if you don't keep and if you cheat, you're gone. I won't mess with you. You, if, you, if it's 10 cents for the I want it down on paper, then we'll... Have, and they're shocked to find out where their money has gone because they had no idea. It's a dollar here, a cup of coffee here, cup da-da-da-da-da-da. We're living in a time where there's almost no self-discipline when it comes to anything much less money you, we were talking about drinking and everything else that
1: you're uh, earlier well it's it's also an age of what i heard someone the other day being interviewed called the age of invisible money because people don't use cash anymore they just use a credit card and they use a credit card for everything and they'll sign up for something online and they'll forget that they signed up then they can't figure out how to unsubscribe from it. And suddenly that's coming every month, all this other kind of stuff. But, but I the it was credit
3: card thing is really handy when you sit down and help people find out where their money is gone. Yep. You bring that, you have, a, you have it in black and white that they can't deny where they've used it. Uh, They have to keep a little booklet there for things that aren't on the credit card. I don't object to that when it comes to time of helping them evaluate what's going on. Because I was shocked, I was listening to Dave Ramsey. He's saying that average is like eighteen thousand dollars on credit cards on now. On average, yeah. Yeah, we're in the world, and these are the same people that have sometimes anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand dollars on on uh, school loans. I mean, holy cow! I don't see how they ever are going
4: to get their head above water, and then they wonder why they have tension at home. Yeah, you talk about you talk about finances and the pastor. Um, my, I never got an allowance uh, growing up, so uh, honestly, uh, we didn't have any money either. But my my parents never taught me how to how to budget. So when my wife and I got married, uh, we basically said we are going to put God first and tithe. And my first church full time was a hundred dollars. Okay. And I was married and had a child, but we still tithe. And then we tried to increase it after that. But uh, I used the—I preached the 80-10-10 preach principle, live off of 80%, save 10, and tithe 10. Honestly, I didn't do a good job saving. I, I did not do a good job saving. I didn't teach my kids either that. They, uh, when we, we gave way beyond the tithe, and often uh, we would say, don't complain right now because money's tight— But I think the difference for a lot of preachers depends on whether you take over an existing church where they already have a building or whether you are a new church planter where you have to sacrifice and model generosity for every building program. My struggle was going through four building programs. Uh, literally, we gave everything to the church. And so when I got ready, getting close to retire, I can honestly say my, we didn't have anything to live on. And the elders stepped up and were very generous and helped with that. But so I think it's tough when you're the pastor and you have to model it during those sacrificial giving times. But I would say the major problem today, it would be with me or anybody else delayed gratification. If, if you can control delayed gratification with your kids, and we're not going to get that until we can afford it, start putting some money aside and saving, right. if you can teach them to overcome delayed gratification, I think you're putting in place the principle that you won't go in debt right. be, because you're, you're going to delay it. And so again, we, we've gone way beyond the tithe, but I did not do a good job saving, and I didn't do a good job teaching my kids how to budget.
2: I've invoked your name, Don, more than once in classes that I've taught because I knew from my son-in-law serving on your staff for seven years about your and Sue's sacrificial giving in order to lead out uh, some of the building programs you had at CCV. So I just want you to know that, and, uh, and, I, and I appreciate your model in that regard. Um, I think one of the things that helped Kayleen and me most was at 35, I paid off my house and have not been in debt since i was 35 years old now i'm 75. Mm -hmm. so 40 years of no debt it really it really makes a difference in the freedom that you have and it's not for it's not for everybody but it was and it was before dave ramsey it just made sense to me and i didn't like to make payments so but i I think if if i go back and do it again i'd say to my 35 year old self yeah get out of all debt if you can as soon as possible
5: My story would be very similar to Don's. I was taught as a boy to tithe. So the first paycheck I made as a teenager, I tithe. And God promises, prove me now here with, see, I will open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing so great you can't receive it. And I hear Don say, well, I wasn't very good at saving, but the Lord took care of you. Mm -hmm. The Lord blessed you. And the same with me. Uh, We went through five or six major fundraisers, and I couldn't ask the people to do what I wasn't willing to do myself. I drove a Vega for a long time, and you know what? We don't have to compete with people in the church for them to respect us. Mm-hmm. They will respect you more as a preacher if they know you're willing to delay gratification, if you're willing to make sacrifices, and they, they say, he, he's he's not spending more than he, than he makes. They will lose respect for you if they see you living higher than you're able to afford
3: they have to be oh yeah
5: Mm -hmm. and and if they see you willing to humble yourself and make sacrifices that's what helps build the church god resists the proud he gives grace to the humble other people do too and i think the lord takes care of you if you don't spend more than you make and you're willing to give generously along the way the elders of the church took care of me and i I think that the lord took care of me in that two things that kill us (coughs) in almost every area of life, unrealistic expectations and unfair comparisons. If we expect to make a lot of money when we're entering ministry and we're comparing ourselves with other people who are in the church, we're going to be disgruntled and envy and greed will do us in. We're going to spend more than we make. And I I think we ought to be wise stewards, but it begins with being willing to tithe. And I, I had a goal. I wanted to give away half of what I make along the way. And I found out that old saying is true, that the Lord's got a bigger shovel than, than we shovel out. And you talk about knowing where your money's spent. I look back at the places where I've played golf and the places I've got to travel to, and I didn't have to pay for that golf, and I didn't have to pay for that mission trip. I give credit to the Lord. Amen to that. that, that uh, you know what? Uh, I, I've lived like a king because of other people have been generous with me.
3: Yeah, me too. I can tell you stories, but I can't because of names and things that I'm talking about. Significant gifts within the last year, a couple walked into my office and handed me ten thousand dollars and said, "No, you. Don't, we don't want this on as contribution to the church. This is a gift. You use in any way you want to." And I say, keep them cards and letters coming in.
5: But <laughs> people are kind. They are, to you. if they yes. if they see that you genuinely care for them, and you you've, you've uh, been wise with your own stewardship, the the Lord really fulfills His promise. I will pour you out a blessing so great you can't receive it.
1: Going back to kind of kind of joining together what we talked about dealing with culture. Now let's talk about dealing with you know young pastors, especially, but I think everyone. What I have seen and what I have been told by financial advisors is one of the reasons anybody gets himself in financial trouble. Pastors, leaders, whoever it is, is that we have redefined, especially over the last 20, 30 years, what is a necessity in life. It's not enough to have a TV. It's got to be a 72, you know, inch, whatever, 84 inch. You know, it's got to have 20 different streaming services available. You've got to have, you know, a premium Spotify membership. You've got to have all this stuff that just adds up and, again, just seems to... Talking about being a wise steward, but I know pastors who are just as much like, well, we were talking off air about how many pastors have kind of given into a culture that kind of grew out of Seattle and some other places of of pastor smoking and drinking and, and, and so forth. But I also see a lot of pastors wearing really, really, really expensive clothes and living in houses that are just decked out with every electronic you can think of. And I don't know about you all, that bothers me. I would just say that, that, that because I do think we're, one of the things we're going to do to confront the culture is say, you don't need all this stuff. You don't need Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, you know.
2: Paul told Timothy, if we have food and clothing, this we will be content. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's a far cry from the survey that was done. I'm not sure by whom I should be able to document it but uh, to say it, but something like 635 items that people considered as necessities. Right. Now that's building on food and clothing. Now, if you don't have food, you're going to starve to death and die. That's not good. And if you don't have clothing, you'll be locked up somewhere, and never heard from again.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, 600 and some necessities. That doesn't surprise me. And that's, I've heard financial advisor, when I hear them talk, I hear this all the time. It was what we define as a necessity 30 years ago, what we define now,
5: I have retreats, and some of the guys who come on retreats are bivocational preachers. I really respect those yes. guys. But I think, as much as possible, the preacher needs to live on what he's paid for the church. That doesn't mean we can't invest some things and be wise stewards. But I see guys getting involved in side hustles here and there. Mm-hmm. When Paul writes about uh, this good soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs, I I think we can get overly concerned with finances and get caught up in uh, investing and side issues, the place we're distracted and we don't have time to to spend because we've got uh, four or five apartments over here and and we're spending every night going trying to find somebody to oversee them. And it can really be distracting. I, I think in ministry, we need to... As Ken said, to be content with, with what we've got and say, you're going to run across guys who are they're in ministry and they're worth so much and, and you're, it's easy to get envious of those people. Or you can say, you know, the Lord provides for me and I'm his servant and I'm, I'm willing to be... Not compare with somebody else and just bloom where you're planted.
0: We've all encountered situations in our church where someone could really benefit from support and talking with a therapist. Thankfully, God has provided individuals who are specifically trained to be therapists. And I am genuinely excited to share a fantastic option with you today from BetterHelp, the sponsor of today's episode. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible, which is so crucial because finding a therapist can be quite challenging, especially when you're limited to local options. But with BetterHelp everything becomes easier because it's an online platform. By answering a few questions, they can match you with a professional therapist in just a few days. Signing up and getting matched with a therapist is a breeze. Simply follow the link in the description. Betterhelp.com 1801 media. That's betterhelp.com 1801 media. Not only does clicking this link support our channel, but it also gets you a 10% discount on your first month of BetterHelp. It's a win-win! You know, finding the right therapist is kind of like dating. Sometimes it takes a bit to find the perfect fit. But with BetterHelp, if you don't quite click with your initial therapist, no worries. You can easily switch to a different one for free without worrying about insurance or network restrictions. As Christians, we sometimes don't think of therapy as an option. But it's essential to recognize that there are people available to help us through difficult times. So I want to encourage you to consider this valuable option. Whether you need someone to talk to about everyday struggles, depression, anxiety, or any other challenges, if you or someone you know is struggling, I strongly recommend exploring online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com 1801media. That's betterhelp.com 1801media to get started. Once again, thank you to BetterHelp for supporting this channel. Let's all take a step towards better mental health and support one another on this journey. You're not alone, and there is help available. BetterHelp.
2: I'm really I'm taken with the Amish community and how those people live, and uh, I've sometimes thought that that uh, I should have been born an Amish uh, prodigy <laughs> because uh, I really like the idea of the simple life, and uh, and uh, there are a lot of things to commend it. And in this season of life, you know, we when we moved here, we we gave up the 3,800 square foot home and moved into a, a two bedroom, two bath. Condo and that we share with uh, another lady, and uh, we're we're just as happy as clams. And, uh, and and I loved simplifying and thinning, and and I'm good with good with that. That it has a attractiveness that I think uh, you don't have when you're young.
4: Uh, did I just hear Ken say he has a two-bedroom condo with his wife and another lady? <laughs> he did <he is>, say <laughs> hey, that. Heard that it. it's like a I heard it. Yeah, yeah I just boy, that yeah. financial planning yeah. is really <laughs> paying off. Uh, uh, we, we did uh, find uh, out. Um, I mean, uh, our church, you, Dave Ramsey, and yet one thing we found out is it not didn't help our people's generosity at all. They, really? they got out of debt, but they were never taught to tithe. That is true. And so, basically, to me, yes, you need to get out of debt. But if you don't put God first with your finances, He's not going to bless you in trying to get out of debt. As far as I'm concerned, so we found with that, uh, we we started pushing back on their curriculum. I think they've since changed it a little bit. But we said these people are getting out of debt, but they're not tithing to the church and. And what we found was that a lot of them that got out of debt, if they weren't generous in putting God first, it's pretty easy to get back in debt because you haven't put the principle of living with what God's provided you. And teach your
2: kids to do it. When they're in the formative years and they're impressionable years, we had three, each one of our three kids had three jars. We always gave them an allowance that was divisible by three, one third for giving, one third for saving, one third for spending it made a difference. I mean, they, they got on that path. I'm, I don't know that they're... It's just a
5: lot easier when you start young. It is. Yeah.
3: Well, I don't like the idea of allowances. I, I've never have. I never got one growing up. Dad never said, oh, it's Friday and here's uh, two bucks. If I worked and earned two bucks, I got it. Otherwise, it didn't show up. And And we tried to do the same thing with our kids. You earn what you get. And if you're not willing to earn it, you have to learn to do without, and uh, and I think it served these hooligans pretty good
4: you know, along the line. I don't have to bail them out at all anymore. Uh, and I and I think, in fairness, you're the exception. Uh, I I because that's the way we were raised. But I think, Ken, your idea of. Uh, Having them while they're still at home set those dynamics in place of a jar for saving, a jar for, for giving, and a jar, you know, uh, the I, self-discipline. I, did, yes, is I new. I I would say I wish I would have I would have I would have done that.
2: Yeah, I wasn't taught to give, and my po- parents were young Christians, and and uh, I remember my dad writing a check to the church every morning. So I did have the benefit of that that example after he became a Christian. But um, I tell you how I learned to give. I was a youth pastor in Saybrook, Illinois, and Bill Vandervoort was the, was the preaching minister there. And he was kind enough to confront me. He said, Ken, I notice when the offering plates pass that you just get out your wallet and you reach in and pull out a bill or a few bills and put it in the, in the offering plate. You need to get an offering envelopes. You need to pray about your giving, plan your giving. You're getting $35 a week. Uh, you you need to think about giving about $5 a week. I mean, he was that specific, and he was that confrontational. I've thanked him many times. He's still alive down in Florida, retired now, but I, I thanked him because he's the one that taught me to, to give.
5: What do you do? All you guys have preached in churches where you have staff members. What do you do about teaching your staff members to give or those who don't give? The extreme that I saw was a friend of mine here in town who preached at a large Baptist church, and he checked the giving of each of his staff people, and if they didn't tithe, he took it out of their salary. Now, I didn't think that was a good idea. But I do think we need to somehow train our staff people. You're using the example of a minister who helped you because he was very direct. Maybe we could be more helpful to some of our staff people if we confronted them.
4: Yeah, I I had a, a pastor friend that took it out of their salary, and I, I said, you're not, you're not teaching them responsibility, that's forced giving. But what we did, we said there's an expectation of several things you will do. You will serve, you know, you will be in a small group, you will tithe. And so so we basically said every staff person is expected to tithe.
3: And be- you actually
4: did that out in public with yeah, your
3: staff people. I b- heard b- you one Because Sunday. I
4: I said as a leader of the church, and I was taught this by my father, he never asked us kids to do something he didn't model first. And I said if I'm going to be the pastor I'm not going to ask you guys to do something that I haven't done. And so I said I don't want to stand up and ask the people to tithe if my staff's not. Now you say, well what happened when you found, so we checked. Were they, were they tithe or not and because we knew what we paid them we didn't know we didn't check our elders to know what they got paid we took their word for it but but we extended grace there would be i could name probably four or five times where somebody wasn't tithing and we went and talked to them and it was because there was a major financial situation a health issue or something that came up we would extend grace on that and say that's fine we'll, we'll work with you through that but then try to get back to the tithe uh, uh, even though i said to my kids you know i didn't i didn't didn't teach them on um, how, to, how to do all that. I, I did, when, when our money was tight, we would say to our kids, don't bother us about extra things, because you know what we're doing. And I was hit right between the eyes one time. I was coaching my son in soccer we left the soccer field and I this another assistant coach had a new van and I said man I wish we had a new van that's a nice van and my son was 10 and he said well dad if you and mom didn't give so much to the church you'd have money to buy a van and so I realized that that they were observing our lifestyle right. more than I mm-hmm. than I realized and so uh, and so I think as as a, a pastor don't be afraid to share the joys the struggles that you're going through yourself to your kids like this is a tough time right now so like this year there might not be christmas gifts or you it's okay to let them know that we're in this together but then when you're blessed rejo-
5: rejoice along with it I, I wish there was some way that we could on the other side deal with elderships and tell the elders you're to be a model employer the church ought to be uh, modeling to the world about generosity. This is the way we treat people we love, and I, I remember early on in, in this church, when they voted on the budget, they had the total budget. They had the preacher's salary listed in the budget in, in the bulletin that was passed out on Sunday morning, and our chairman of the board got up and he said, now you'll notice that there's a sizable raise for the preacher this year. Or the economy's been down, but you know, it's probably more percentage than you're getting at work. But we believe the church ought to be a model employer. That's awesome. And that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of our guys are struggling in ministry because they got elders who are miserly. And I wish there was some way that we could get to church boards and say, would you be willing to live on $50,000 a year? Could you do that? Could you pay your, your health insurance? And could you take care of three kids? like you're expecting out of your preacher, and we need to find some way to persuade the leaders of the church to be more generous with their preacher.
1: Well, it goes back to one of the things that plagues the number of elderships and church leaderships is the old saying, you know, they hire a preacher, the
5: elders say, Lord, you keep
1: him humble, we'll keep him poor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've I've, I've certainly seen that. So I think it goes without saying that you can chime in. One of the things you're arguing is, one, you got to model this, especially giving and tithing, and and make that part of your your budget. I would. You can go back. I'm kind of shocked. I haven't looked that closely at Dave Ramsey's books, and so I'm kind of shocked that that's not a major emphasis. Because I remember in Crown Financial the old days with Larry Burkett, it was. You know, there was always that line item on there, ten percent tithe, and that's the one I know Dad, you use when you yeah, is the
3: ten ten like Don said. I did. We did the
4: same thing. Yeah. That that's the way we did it, regardless. Yep. Here, here's something that I noticed that I think is changing. I think the guys that are still struggling financially is the small church, less than 200, and there's only one or two pastors. But what I'm finding with the larger churches, many of their new staff are being hired from the corporate world, not from Bible college. Mm-hmm. And so what I found is then starting to hire people from the corporate world, they have an unbelievable benefit package, which has started to impact a lot of your larger churches because now. Now everybody gets a lot more benefits than we got when I started out. There was no such thing as a benefit package, and so there are there are some things um, being changed the other the other way there.
5: In handling finances in the home, we talked earlier about our wives. How did you guys? Uh, what kind of agreement did you have with your wife about? What spending money she had if she wasn't working or if she worked, did you pool your resources? What, what kind of give and take did you have in, in your own home? Well, having a wife that is conservative
2: uh, helps first that you can trust with a checkbook and, uh, and with the credit card. But uh, I've never been a budgeter. That's just partly the way I'm wired. My wife is is very much uh, a budgeter, a planner, an organized uh, person, and she is one that, that kind of, although I paid the bills, she, she was the one that helped to keep us between the lines so uh, we kind of flipped the script on that
4: my wife pays the bills always has in our our marriage i think the one thing that's probably helped us not get in major financial problems we always agreed 100 percent on any major purchase so um, i mean there's a little money spending money we each have and we don't hold each other accountable for that but any major purchase we always had to agree on that or, or we did without so that that was something we agreed on because I think that's where you can cause major problems in a marriage. If that that big expenditure, one gets it but doesn't tell the other one or they don't agree, that can put stress on. So at least that's what we were able to. I,
2: I wouldn't want this to be a rabbit trail, but but I, I do think that a lot of younger guys and my peers back in the day opted out of Social Security and lived to regret it. And uh, they wound up getting to the end, and they hadn't disciplined themselves to save. They didn't have Social Security. And so they wind up needing help, and they're unable to work anymore. I'm glad we have, I think, Cairo's Benevolent Fund addresses some of that with some of our pastors. But they probably could have avoided being where they are if they had been uh, had a little more foresight. And I know, you know, the word was, well, Social Security is not going to be there when you need it. Um, I, I'm not a pessimist where that's concerned, so I'm glad I stayed in Social Security. Yeah.
1: Well, it sounds like, to wrap up here, that what, what we're basically saying is, you know, the 80-10-10 principle is, uh, is a sound one, and especially the 10% of tithing, the giving, that uh, we need to, as uh, church leaders, model you know, that for our congregation. Hopefully our elders will also help teach that to staff, and then it'll roll over into the congregation. So, gentlemen, thank you, and I want to thank Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Scott Rawlings, and Ken Eidelman. This is Matt Rawlings, and thanks for listening. hope you tune in next time. Remember, if you're looking for wisdom, you go to those who have been there and done that. Take care.
0: This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.